welcome back to our study and we're going to continue uh, in first Timothy chapter four and uh, we were in verse 13. So let me read 13 and 14. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Let's uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. But oh, dear God, we need so much help. We are so weak and so dull of mind and heart. Please, Lord, be gracious to us and teach us your word. But Lord, let it let it come with a, a power a penetration, Lord, to enter into our hearts and minds and change us. Lord, help your church throughout the world. Help your ministers. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, he says, of course, in verse 12, he deals with character because character, um, in some ways, the gospel and the scriptures are self-validating, so I don't want to say that our character validates the scriptures, but to have a biblical character at least demonstrates the power, the power, and does not become an obstacle to people understanding the word. Now he says, until I come, give attention to the public reading of scripture, give attention, we've already talked about that. Um, in the same way that the drunkard gives attention to wine and strong drink and is controlled by it, we are to give attention to the word of God and be under its influence, under its strong influence. So he goes on and he mentions three things, the reading of scripture, exhortation and teaching. Now, um, the word public has been put in here, and so, and I think appropriately so, the public reading of Scripture. But let's just talk for a moment about us before we think about getting up in front of God's people and reading Scripture. Uh, how much do you read Scripture? You know, I, I sometimes tell young men when I hear them talking, I, I'll tell them, I'll say, you know, there, there are more books than just the book of Romans and Ephesians, don't you? I mean, young guys seem to get all excited about theology and then they, they may venture into the gospel of John, but other than that, it's pretty much Romans and Ephesians. And, but I want you to know that you cannot understand the New Testament apart from the Old Testament. That in some ways you can't understand anything apart from understanding everything. Um, it's a tapestry. You know, you, you hear about the man who is, who is led with, his, with a blindfold on until his face is an inch away from an uh, elephant. And you ask him, what does he see? And he says, just a gray veil, a curtain, a wall. Has no idea what he's looking at because he can't stand back and get, get the context. Well, when you start reading the Bible over and over and over again, you begin to see, oh my, there's hardly anything in the New Testament that isn't somehow connected to intricately with the Old Testament or finds its foundation in the Old Testament. 
I mean, it's just astounding. I remember one time, I think it was in my study of Hebrews chapter 10, that I would just come out of the office every once in a while, just dumbfounded in awe and tell the guys, the Bible, the Bible, it is the word of God. And, and what I meant by that was when you look at Hebrews 10 and you realize that almost everything in scripture kind of connects itself together in that chapter and how interwoven all the truths of scripture, the law, everything is all interwoven. You begin to realize that only God could write this book. No one else. But it comes through reading and reading and reading and reading the scriptures. And you find out that that the minor prophets, they stand on their own. But at the same time, there's a sense in which you can't even understand the New Testament apart from understanding them. And so it's the study of Scripture, the reading of Scripture. Now, here it's speaking about specifically something that is very, very neglected in evangelicalism today, and that is simply the reading of Scripture publicly. But then there are some who boast in reading the scriptures publicly um, in their church, a chapter or two. But let me share something with you. Be very careful about the things of which you boast. Why? Are you teaching God's people how to listen to the scriptures? Are you sharing with them the struggle that you have in your own mind when the scriptures are read? And how you must discipline yourself and teach yourself to concentrate and to listen. That listening is an art that needs to be developed. Or do you just read the scriptures and scold people because they don't pay attention? You see, we're, we're not a culture that, um, that reads. We're not a culture that listens. We're not a culture that can sit still or even concentrate for more than a few seconds at a time, it seems. I mean, if you want to have success uh, now in social media, you know, you need to get what you need to get everything said in about 30 seconds. So it's not just reading scripture and then pounding your chest and say, you know, we're not like other evangelicals. We read the scriptures in in our service. But you should share with people. Yes, I know it's difficult to concentrate. But let me show you how. Let me share with you my own struggles. Let me teach you how to listen, teach you how to hear, teach you how to uh, to concentrate and to fight. You know, one of the John Piper has definitely in many ways been been a gift. Uh, he's wrote so many helpful things and uh, I want to tell you something. One of the most helpful things I ever heard from him. It, no, I take it back. The most helpful thing I ever heard is when I discovered that everything for him was a fight. And then it put everything in context because I thought it was just me <laughs> that everything was a fight for me. And see, here, here's what happens. People do this. They go. They look at people who maybe are outstanding in the study of scripture or people who are unusual in prayer and they think to themselves they can do that because it's easy for them. It's not easy for me, therefore, I'm not called to do that. 
Well, I will grant you that there are people who are gifted in certain areas, but what you need to realize is that it's a fight for everybody in everything. <laughs> everything is a fight against the flesh. And when you realize that, you no longer make excuses for yourself saying that person does it because it's easy. No, they do it even though it's hard because they know they have to. And it's the same way. Before you just get up and read scripture, encourage and exhort, saying once again, I remind you, discipline yourself, listen, let's do this together. We're going to read this chapter. I want you to put everything out of, out of your mind, all your thoughts and different things and concentrate. And if at the end, you didn't get much. Well, know that I go through the same thing, but we're going to come back next week. We're going to do it again. We're going to do it again. We're going to train ourselves. We're going to ask God to help us. Do you see what a difference that would make? And so it's not just, oh, we read scripture. Now, another thing that I want to say that is related to this, uh, it's not in the text, but uh, um, I've just noticed this. Um, we need to encourage people and even teach people how to get ready for a service, for a, for a meeting. We, we do. It would be helpful to have them pray in the evening before Sunday morning, to wake up Sunday morning and have uh, maybe their devotional to get their heart ready to pray. But can I share with you something? Even those people who love the Lord, are going to struggle in that area. I'm not talking about reprobates or the unconverted or the carnal. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your good people that love Jesus. We live in a world that is just pulling them every way imaginable. And, and in some ways, they're like sheep without a shepherd and they're distressed and they're, they're all sorts of things and they're they're trying to get ready. They're wore out. They're trying to get ready for church in the morning. They're, they're... Take that into consideration and show some mercy. And realize that when they walk through that door, they may not be that prepared. And ask yourself how to prepare them. You don't prepare them by scolding them. You prepare them by encouraging them in their God telling them how much he loves them. And also kind of of helping them get ready. Now, I've, I know church services where, you know, they start singing, you know, what is it? Uh, 11 were uh, 11 words, seven times or seven words, 11 times or whatever, just over and over. And we we laugh about that sometimes and uh, and maybe rightly so. Some of that needs to be corrected. But there's also this thing of, you know, we're going to come in, we're going to pray, we're going to read the word, we're going to sing a hymn, we're going to read the word, we're going to pray, we're going to sing a hymn, we're going to do that. And, and I think all that's appropriate, but let me share something with you. Most of the people that are going to come in are going to come in rather cold, uh, distracted. And I have discovered that and, and I want to be careful here. Please don't 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 fire me. Um, but I have discovered that. After we pray 
and we encourage them that going into worship and allowing them to to sing and to express themselves to the Lord in more than one song. You know, they sing a, a few verses and then you stop them. And you, you bring in an exhortation or you read the word or something, then another thing, and then you stop them. And and I'm just saying practically, and you can be angry with me for, for saying this, but practically I have discovered that if you will just let them sing for a while, and if the worship is as it should be in Colossians chapter 3, didactic, teaching and admonishing one another, uh, it encourages them and helps them prepare their heart. And so I'm not telling you that you have to do that. I'm just saying that I've discovered that if they sing for just a minute and stop, sing again, stop, that it's very hard for them. And that uh, prayer and encouraging word and, and let them let them just worship for a while. And then come in with the reading of Scripture. What I'm saying is, is ask God to give you wisdom and realize that there are very, very good people who love the Lord, who, who they need to be helped on Sunday morning. And you can rail all day about how they should have prepared their heart better or how they should have been ready. You can do that if you'd like, but you're not going to get very far. Encourage them. You know, pastors, listen to me. You know how difficult it is for you right? Yet you live in a world that is very isolated in which you're reading the Bible, you're talking to people about the Bible, you're working in the context of a church. Many of your members are out there in the world. They're mechanics and doctors and lawyers and janitors and, and teachers, and they, they're bombarded by so many things from which you're protected. Help them when they come in. Help them. Encourage them. And, uh, and love them and, and really seek that there be great joy. And not just, you know, you're saying, well, Brother Paul, let's talk about reading a scripture. Why are you saying this? It's not enough just to be correct. It's not all, it's not enough just to cross all the T's and dot all the I's in the so-called reform service. You want to minister to God's people and you want to be interceding that the Spirit of God will be there manifested in power and life. So very important, brethren. Don't don't think, boy, you've got it all just because you've you've got everything ordered as it ought to be. You know, a machine has everything ordered. A cemetery has everything ordered. I'd rather be in a nursery where there's a bit of a mess, but life than a cemetery where everything is theologically correct and there's no errors. <laughs> So the reading of Scripture. Now, why is it important? Because the Scriptures are important. It's why the reformers moved the pulpit from off center to center. It's the word of God. But people need to be taught how to hear it, how to appreciate it. Why should they appreciate it? Don't just make them do something like trained monkeys. Tell them why there could be. There could be just a few minutes, and it shouldn't be more than a few minutes of, of explanation each time, teaching them why this is important. 
So there's the reading of scripture. And of course, there's the exhortation. Now, here's a question that I think we all need to ask ourselves is if you look at the order here, he says the reading of scripture, that makes sense. And then exhortation and teaching. You would think that he'd put teaching first. And uh, because, you know, we need to inform the mind, because if you exhort it without information, well, that's a, a very dangerous thing to do. You know, you're, you're exhorting someone to do something. They don't know how to do it biblically. So I've often wondered why does exhortation come first? And then I think about who he's right to whom he's writing and he's writing to Timothy. And when you get over to Second Timothy, you realize that he encourages Timothy with regard to timidity. In chapter one, verse seven, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Now, it doesn't necessarily this text means that that Timothy struggled with timidity, but it does suggest that as a possibility. Also do the work of an evangelist. Um, and so maybe he's putting exhortation before teaching here just because this is the place where there was struggling. Now, what is exhortation? It's the, the appeal to the conscience and it is desiring a response. It is an important aspect of preaching. Um, I am so tired of going to so-called theologically correct churches and hearing New Testament surveys from the pulpit. A New Testament survey has its place and there are professors dedicated to teaching that and they are absolutely necessary. But we learn New Testament survey. We learn about the New Testament world and all these things to provide ourselves with a context for studying scripture. And of course, that can be brought into a sermon, but a sermon is not just a New Testament survey or an Old Testament survey. It's not just informing the mind. I have seen people exposit a text correctly and miss the entire point of the text. You should not be pleased with yourself, brothers, just because you did some fantastic exposition. A fantastic exposition is only a means to a greater end, and that end is transformation. And teaching includes exhortation and appeal to the conscience. You know, the Francis Schaeffer, how then shall we live? Walk in a manner worthy of your vocation. And Paul does this actually in his letters in Romans and Ephesians. It's, it's amazing. So you have all this instruction in the first 11 chapters of Romans, and then he gets to verse 12. I mean, chapter 12, verse one, therefore. How then shall we live? And the rest of the book is on how we should live in light of the teaching of the first 11 chapters. You get to Ephesians, the first three chapters are probably the deepest theology of the mystery of the gospel in the entire Bible. And then he gets to chapter four, therefore. How should we live? It is an appeal to the conscience. It is an exhortation to action. And it's so very, very important, brothers. And then he goes on and he goes teaching. The giving of instruction leading to understanding. 
I am not a classical, I guess, I don't know what I am. Uh, I'm not the greatest expositor in the world, I know that for sure. Um, but sometimes I'll listen to my own sermons, and I'll very rarely, because it's just too sad. <laughs> but I listen to others also, and I ask myself, how much of all they said was actually the exposition of Scripture? Um, again, I want to go back to Dr. Piper. I think it was in his little book on preaching. If you're not going back to the text over and over and over again and reading it, pieces of it, you're probably not expounding it. Um, I've, I've seen exposition that was just so general, especially in its application, that it had no blade on it. It, it didn't confront anybody with anything. And so we want to teach, but we also want to teach what's actually being said there. Do not think that you're, that the people you're preaching to or that are incapable of understanding. If you read some of Spurgeon's sermons, they're very, very profound, and yet he was known to, you know, he was preaching to the common man. Um, People need theology and they need doctrine and they can understand it. And this whole thing about putting the cookies on the lower shelf, first of all, no one needs cookies, okay? Nobody needs cookies. Now, cookies are good for no one. You don't need to put the cookies on the lower shelf. You need to give the people milk when they're young and then bring them to meat. And there is nothing in the New Testament that needs to be put on a lower shelf. It just needs to be explained correctly. Notice that what we are spending copious amounts of time expounding were just letters that were written in red. So maybe we ought to simplify things a little bit in our exposition. But not dumb it down. Go step by step, line by line, precept by precept. Teach what's actually there in the text. Uh, let me let me give you an example. Look at look at uh, look look at verse six of chapter four. In pointing out these things to the brethren, is there anything significant about pointing out? That's what I would be telling the congregation. Pointing out means this. And the way he says it means do it all the time. And that's why I'm constantly iterating and reiterating, repeating and repeating. And you see, it's actually teaching the text. And not just some, you know, high flying overview that you do because you think that the people of God are incapable of understanding what's actually being said. That's not true. They need the text. Now, go, I, I want us to go for just a minute, go over to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. 
I have a, a thing I do on why parents should never discipline their children. And I say it that way because it, it shocks everybody. And uh, when I mean discipline, it's not necessarily, I'm not talking about beating them or anything else. I'm just talking about discipline. Why you should never discipline your child. Even take it a little further. Why you should, uh, well, never even, in a sense, tell them they're wrong. You say, Brother Paul, what are you talking about? What I'm talking about is why does everyone talk about discipline, but they don't talk about all the things that are supposed to precede discipline. And if you don't do those things, what right do you have to discipline anyone? So, so look, at, look at verse 16. What's the first thing you must do in any context, whether it's your children or your church, you must teach them, teach them, teach them. Teach them the truth. Teach them what they're supposed to do. Teach them who God is and what they're supposed to be. Teach them. And then what? Reprove them. Show them where they're wrong. And then what? Don't leave them there. Don't leave them there with just, I'm wrong. What else? Correct them. So it's not just showing them where they're wrong, showing them what is right. Do you see? Showing them with the scriptures, teaching with the scriptures, reproving with the scriptures, then setting them up right and sending them on their way in the right direction, correct them with the scriptures, and then training in righteousness, training with the scriptures. How do you train with the scriptures? Well, in some ways, the training is caught up in what's already been said. You're, you're constantly renewing your mind in the scriptures, constantly comparing your life to the scriptures. The scriptures are affirming you where you are walking correctly. They're reproving you where you're not, and then they're fixing you so that you do walk correctly. And it's this constant application of the scriptures to your life. But it's an application not with regard to, oh, guilt and I'm a failure and more guilt and more guilt. If you do that, people will be so guilty. Not if they understand grace. Not if they understand already that they're loved in Christ. Not if they understand that their standing before God is based upon the finished work of Christ and that the love of God for them is so incomprehensible that even in eternity they'll not figure it out. If I know I am deeply, inalterably, immutably loved by someone, that someone can correct me. Because I know it doesn't impact their love upon me. Their love for me. And so the, these are aspects of teaching. You know, it's so funny. You get all these preaching classes, but does anyone walk up to you and say to you, okay, teach, reprove, Correct and train. <laughs> That's how you do it. In verse two of chapter four, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. How do you do that? Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. So this is what I, I so want you to see is that that this is your responsibility. 
so that when we go back over to chapter 4, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. This is a primary work of an elder. You say, well, he's just supposed to study and preach from the pulpit? No. He's to study and preach everywhere. Your job is primarily to study, pray, and exposit Scripture. Well, what about deacons' meetings? Shouldn't they be in deacons' meetings? Not to do the accounting. But when there's a spiritual direction that needs to be discovered, you're to expound the Word of God. When there's a decision to be made that is spiritual about how money's to be spent, you're to expound the Word of God. When the deacons need to know exactly what are their activities, you are to expound the word of God. Well, what about visitation? Shouldn't I visit people? What do you think? People just need your presence. <laughs> oh, they need your presence. They need to know you care about them. But you go visit people. Why? To expound the word of God. To manifest and be an example of the word of God. Well, shouldn't I see the sick? Absolutely. But I think they would like to hear from God more than hearing from you. They'd like to hear from God through you as you expound the scriptures. But you see, that's your ministry. What about witnessing to people? Well, now there's a there's a no brainer. We, we should expound scripture in our witnessing. So he says, until I come give attention. And he's going to emphasize this more and more what he means by give attention in verses 14 through 16. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray, dear God, please, please use it in the heart of those who hear this. Father, in Jesus name. Amen.